Thanks for tuning in to today's Horsewoman podcast. Our show explores women in the horse industry as they share their dreams, challenges, successes. What drives these women? Well, let's find out. Good morning, I'm Rose Cushing and welcome to today's episode of Today's Horsewoman. My guest today is someone I have an amazing amount of respect for, Susan Daly. Susan is an accomplished Grand Prix dressage rider. She is a producer for television shows, a documentary filmmaker, an artist, a writer, the list goes on and on. So Susan, welcome into the show today. How are you? I'm doing fine and thank you for having me. I'm really excited about having you today because your career has been so interesting and so diversified. Tell us what you've been up to lately. Well, lately I have gone back into being an instructor. I am working with a wonderful um, equestrian named Heather King. She, she called me up during the COVID crisis, and it was a, she gave me the opportunity to step back into the horse world. Um, and I've been working with her as a trainer in dressage. She also is an event rider, and she's got a horse down in Southern Pines that she invents, and I am working with her, uh, I believe she's four- or five-year-old um, uh, Swedish warm blood mare in dressage. So that's what I do uh, back into, um, and I'm also doing some promotional uh, videos for independent people. I just finished a promotional video for Heather King. And we also uh, did a little bit on the documentary side, and so we entered. It, I entered it into the standalone film festival in LA, and it was accepted. Nice. And it got to be shown in the Chinese theater in LA, and because of COVID, it was unfortunately we decided not to fly out and go to the film festival. But emotionally, it was a nice to, to, to um, have that acceptance. That's a really big honor. That's amazing. It, that's what I said. I couldn't believe, I actually couldn't believe it. <laughs> that's fabulous. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I, I was I was amazed. So was Heather. So we have, uh, we're going to make a poster of the, of her, of, I'm going to make a printed poster that we did for the film festival for her to have as a souvenir. Will that be available for um, folks to watch? Can they find it online? Oh, yeah, it's, it's out on Vimeo. Okay, good. Very That's, good. I can, I can send you a link. Okay, very good. So tell us a little bit about how you got into horses. Well, how I got in, I, I was born with a love of horses. There are just some people, and just like there are people who are passionate about golf or passionate about tennis. I have no idea where it came from. Nobody in my family ever was involved with horses. Uh, I have a mother who dislikes them. My father tolerated them. Um, but as long they tell me, from, as, as long as they can remember, I've always had this, I was drawn to horses and animals. And it, uh, the typical parents gave me some riding lessons, uh, which, of course, made me even more in love. And my actual breakthrough was, my real breakthrough, I have to say, was uh, when I got older and had more control of my life. And I went in that direction. I just decided that I was going to uh, make it a profession uh -huh. and take it as far as I could until I could 
do no more with it. And it led from, oh, gosh, it, it, God, it, it's a little bit of a long story, but I went from taking lessons with a woman called Dot Seishi. Her, her son, Don Seishi, made it onto the Olympic team. Uh, and this was hunter jumpers, which I was not very good at a hunter jumper. My mm-hmm. forte ended up being eventing, and with whom I learned a lot from a trainer called Raul de Leon, who ended up being Tad Coffin's trainer first. And Tad, uh, is, those who don't know, Tad Coffin is a double gold medalist in uh-huh. eventing. <laughs> yes. And then, and I got to work with Tad, and then eventually found my way into dressage. Uh, my first horse was an off-the-track, well, I, I didn't call it trash track thoroughbred, who to this day, um, I, I wish I could have known what I had at the time. It's not, unfortunately, sometimes it takes age to understand what you have. And I didn't give the horse as much credit as I should, but he took me from being a preliminary three-day eventer into an FEI dressage, and then I went on. But with, and he got old, and he needed, and he went into a semi-retirement, and he went to one of my advanced students, who went on to ride him up to third level. Nice. And that was a, th- and he was a, a very simple double gray thoroughbred. And then I got into, um, I wanted to get into breeding, and uh, I, I went from Long Island to California, and I came to North Carolina because land is too expensive in California. And this is where I really grew. I think North Carolina is where I really grew mm-hmm. and, and, and developed. Um, we ran, we did horse shows, monthly horse shows, and that's where uh, I got into the, the breeding. And I was able to fall into a horse called L.A. Baltic Sundance, which came from a breeding farm up in New Jersey who was very well established. So I became part of... Um, Gail Cremona's, what we call, all our horses have a Baltic name. It's L.A. Baltic something. Uh-huh. So it was L.A. Baltic Sundance. So as we, I got a lot of the people who bred the Sundance, they also called their horses Baltic, and we developed what we call the Baltic Collection. Nice. And we did that for about 10 years. And Sundance, I brought Sundance to, he got, he was a third-level horse, and I brought him to Grand Prix. That's amazing. And how ironic with these names, Sundance. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, and 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 I learned a lot about breeding, um, um, uh, because I had three inspections on my property, and then I had Heather King um, did have one inspection at her farm, and that's where I learned. I started to understand the European um, criteria in in developing. Horses. Uh, they're pretty strict. Uh, still in America, we get a little bit of our no- nose out of joint when it, when the inspector looks at a horse and kind of grades it low. Uh-huh. And it's somebody bred that horse and they love that horse, and then they get their nose out of joint when when they're, when there's a little bit of criticism. Yours um, been doing it so long, they understand that process that not every, what you don't want to do is breed horses that will pass on flaws. Right. And so it's hard in America. We still quite haven't gotten, it, it, I mean, I want to put this in your book, but 
and uh, we really haven't gotten a good breeding program overall, which is why people still want to import horses. It makes sense. It, it definitely does. It's very hard, I think, to see the flaws in the horses that you raise yourself as well because you feel like the other characteristics outshine them. But when they're done with a European board and inspected, that doesn't come into play. It is truly, you know, has he got it or not. Exactly. And I went through, I had a, my first stallion was a Dracaner. Mm-hmm. And I, which I shipped in, which I brought down from Canada named uh, Oxidbaum Rappenhoff from a very, very good bloodline, and I did present him to the Dracaner approval process, and he failed miserably. I mean, he really really failed miserably, (laughs) and, but I understood why. Now, would he make a good riding horse? Absolutely. That, That was not the question. Right. What they were looking at was, will he be a good stallion, and will he pass on at least it's always a little bit of a chance, but you want to start with horses that at least have a good start, confirmation, temperament, and talent. And he was lacking, and uh, and I understood it. So when I got Sundance, it had already been approved because I wanted something approved. Right. I didn't want to have to go through that process. And and what we did with Oxid was well, we just. It became a wonderful gelding. Right. And he, had, he was, and he was wonderful to ride. He was just a wonderful, and he cleaned up. He was very good, a good jumper, good dressage horse. And I ended up, I did sell him to somebody who went on and was very successful with him. So. Um, I think a I, lot, of, a lot of times people don't realize what a science breeding is because you know stallions pass on specific traits and mares pass on specific things. And, and it takes a long time to really learn that and understand, you know, what crosses well with other things and, and what does your horse have to offer, whether it be stallion or mare. And that's, and that's true. And when um, the Dracane, now sometimes the approval process is a little different in America, a little bit uh, in, in Europe, uh, in the Swedish breed, in the Swedish uh, and I don't know about the Hanoverian. I can't. I can only talk about the Swedish because that was my experience. Mm-hmm. But to go through where a stallion gets approved, he, has, he gets a temporary um, license for breeding, which means you can register the foals. Right. And what they have to, what they look at are the foals. You know, what's he producing? But once he gets approved, he has to then go through. And this was, and this was interesting because they don't do this with the Dracaners in America. The stallion has to go through a whole x-ray process, and those x-rays have to be clean. Mm-hmm. And the x-ray, the stifle, the hock, all four fetlocks, and the knees. So if a horse has OCD, he will lose his license. Right. If they have something that's not, I don't know, whatever, maybe vesicular might be another process. They might mix them also. So, one, and I said, well, why not the mares? Why only the stallions and not the mares? And they say, well, a stallion can produce hundreds of foals, where a mare can only produce so many. Right. And that's what they kind of look at. Uh, in Europe, every approved stallion has to have x-rays. In America, the Dracaners don't do that. 
I don't know if any other breeds do that, but they're Swedish. Because they bring the Swedish inspectors here, they have to have x-rays. Hey y'all, this is Lonnie from Mule City Specialty Feeds located in Benson, North Carolina. It's almost springtime. Is your horse blooming? Does your horse have a shiny coat and healthy hooves? How much extra time and money are you spending mixing supplements in the feed room when you could be enjoying your horse in the arena or out on the trail? Then look no further. Mule City Specialty Feeds has a line of equine feeds that delivers maximum nutrition. From your performance horse to your weekend trail horse, our line of maximum nutrition equine feeds offers five different complete balanced formulas that will take you out of the feed room and into the saddle. In addition to equine feeds, we also offer complete feeds for your barnyard pets and livestock. For more details, visit our website at mulecity.com, follow us on Facebook, or give us a call at 1-800-587-9229. And don't forget, Mule City delivers. Do they go back and look at some of the stallions get and see if everything is coming? Oh, yes, they, they, they do. Um, the difference in between Europe and America, they will look at the foals, but people have to bring the foals to the inspections, and not everybody does. Right. So when I got Sundance, he only had one foal on the ground. Uh, by the time he retired, but he's a... He's I believe he's in Pennsylvania in retirement. Uh, he had over 75 foals, uh-huh. but not all of them were registered. Right. Because a lot of Americans do not want to go through the process. Right. And I believe only 45, maybe 50, have went to the um, went to inspections for their inspection. So he did get. He has three uh, diploma. He has three diploma foals. Um, two of the diplomas were done here. People brought their folk, brought their young horses or the riding the three year olds and one got one was diplomaed for jumping and dressage, one was diplomaed for jumping. Um, and the other one yeah, two jumping and one for jumping and dressage. But they have to get them to inspections. Right. And that and again, it's a little bit of money, yeah. a little bit of time, a little bit of training, and it's not. And people who are using having sport horses, they don't. I don't. It's just they don't want to do. They still want to go through the process. Right. It's a bit of a hassle. I yeah. got it. Yeah, I can understand that, especially if you weren't going to be breeding them. Right. Yeah, and and I understand that, especially if you have a gelding. Yeah. So and in Europe, it's now or Sweden. It's against the law to brand. Oh, wow. But it's not against the law to brand here. So some people, I've had people have their horses branded when they were here. Uh-huh. And that's just a choice. Right. I always say, well, just get a pad. Then they'll know what your horse is. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. They're very interesting. Now, tell us a little bit about your career in the arts, because you have mastered so many different um Disciplines and art. Well, when, when, when 2008 came around and I saw the depression coming, uh-huh. that's when we went through all that building, everything dropped down. Right. We had a, you know, some bad time. I, I, knew, I knew that you know, Sundance was 19 at the time, 1920. Uh, I felt the horse industry was going to, it's a, it's a luxury. 
Mm-hmm. And I felt it was going to dry up. Uh, and I said, you know, maybe it's time to move on. And went, and so that's when I started looking at options. And I had done a, a lot of my, uh, I was lucky enough because I've got a husband who is a IT, very big into computers. Right. We got into the digital era fairly quickly. And I was able to use that digital era to help promote the, the farm, the breeding, the lessons, the showing, and everything. Right. Uh, and it did, and it made a big difference. It 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 did help helped a lot. But then I just and I was very fascinated with actually video editing. I found that I really enjoyed it. Um, and I said, well, you know, maybe it's time to start moving into a new area. And so I, started, I went for a master's at Goddard College because it's what they call low residency. Uh-huh. And then you go up for a week, put together a package of your, of your study, and then you come down. Because I still had the farm, I still had the business, so I was able to kind of do both. Um, and it did. You know, lessons dropped, people sold horses, and, and I saw it coming. Yeah. Uh, and my thought was, and I also, I also saw very, very famous, people uh, in the horse industry. We had phenomenal coaches such as Riddle Dynamity and Jacques Legoff uh, and other high-level riders. And I saw them, I saw them kind of getting into trouble uh-huh. because they became sort of husbands after 1984 uh, Olympics where we did very well. Um, they were fired. They were let go. Wow. Americans felt they didn't need coaches anymore. Mm. Uh, and there was a dry spell in eventing. They, for 10 years, they couldn't even come close to a medal. Wow. Yeah. And it says something. When the coaches left, the discipline left. Yeah. And uh, the jumpers, it... I'm not so sure what they did because I didn't, I didn't keep track of it so much. Um, the jumpers, of course, are doing very well. and I'm not sure what's happening in eventing because I don't I'm not that involved with the competitions anymore. Um, I thought, you know, maybe I should get out when the getting out is good. Right. I, I wasn't sure. Uh, I was also found myself, the fitness wasn't the same as when I was younger. Yeah, that catches us all. That, that, that can happen. So I decided, why don't we, this is interesting, let's try this. And did the masters by studying in the photography and filmmaking and was all, and that's and I did a lot of uh, short. I did a lot of stuff and, and went to film festivals and did the whole did all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so and actually I had a pro, and I stayed away from horses with the filmmaking. I think it was too close. I it's, I was too close to it. Uh-huh. So. Basically, got my master's, and I became, and my goal was to become a professor at a college. Um, there was a little bit of a boondoggle because starting in around 2011, I had elderly parents that needed help. So that that from 2011 to 2015, I was kind of out of everything. Um, that's when I closed down the farm because I was down in Florida a lot and everything was put on hold and, and to taking care of parents until uh, they passed away in 2015. 
Um, and they were in their mid-90s. I mean, they had a very productive, full life. Yeah. And they were tax shop right to the end. So that's the, after around 2.15, I started to come back to uh, a little bit of filmmaking. And by then, I'd been out of the writing. So there wasn't much going on there. But I was, I was a um, director of photography for three feature films, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And doing, doing some shorts. I produced some shorts of my own, did a lot of documentaries, um, and then became a, um, what was fun is was becoming a film, um, a screener for film festivals. I started out with the North Carolina Film Awards, um, and I've been doing that, God, I guess, I don't know, since, I don't even know when, maybe 16, 17. And then this last two years, I was a screener for the Santa Fe Film Festival, and I've seen some awesome films. I mean, really fun films. Um, I've seen enough films to be a little bit now filmed out. Yeah. I think, I think I'm, I've gone back to books. Right. I, 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 I'm, I am filmed out. But I've got a great recommendations for people that are interested in finding unusual films. Uh, and then I started teaching, which is what I originally started, my goal was, because I enjoy education, whether it teach writing, you know, when you're teaching writing or you're teaching filmmaking, the principle is the same. There is a basic outline. You're sharing life experiences. Right. So I was, I taught uh, for two years at the School of Living Arts, which is local, private, until COVID hit. And when COVID hit, the school had no choice but to go online temporarily. So, we, which was a first experience, teach online, taught courses online, and it was a lot of fun. I think it was Google Google Hangout, which is what they had, Hangout. Yeah. Sorry. Google Hangout, which is like a Zoom, because uh, that's what they set up. And then um, the school had to get special permission to, to, to be on to be online because they're not credited for it. So they got special permission, but they had to go back in class. And my partner, Owen, said to me, please do not go back. COVID is still strong. And, you know, schools, a you know, closed-knit school, is, it's, it's, it's a Petri dish for all sorts of... Subscribe to the first podcast exclusively for horsewomen about horsewomen. Listen to successes, issues, dreams, plans, and all about our industry. Meet some of the most influential women in the horse industry. Everything from the grassroots to the women in the spotlight. Women just like you. Today's Horsewoman. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. New episodes every Tuesday. We look forward to spending time with you each week. And if you have a great story, let us know. This is a Cushing Media production. Keep riding, keep learning, and keep listening. School is, I mean, school is in a spot, and I kind of felt bad, but I wrote a, a letter saying that I would not be coming back for the next semester and explained why. I also knew that once I wrote that letter, that, that, that that's going to end. They're not going to, because they, they, 
you know, I jump ship on them. And I understood it. I understand from their point of view, they need people that are going to stand by no matter what. I, I was doing it because I enjoyed the teaching. It wasn't a career. It wasn't the money. It was being, being involved with the young people. Right. So um, I knew that that would end, and it did, because they needed to replace me, and I'm sure they have. Uh, and at the same time, Heather called me up, and that's where I started working with Heather, so stepped you know, back into the equestrian world. Uh, and that pretty much brings you a little bit up to date. Um, I haven't done too much in this last year uh, other than the little promotional documentary that I did for Heather. Um, and... Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty much it. Actually, I, it's been it's been a little bit slow. Um, I think COVID kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop. I think it did everybody for sure, and and it's um coming back is a little harder than I thought it would be myself. So I'm. It's, it's going to be slow. Yeah, it's going to be slow because it doesn't. It it's because it keeps changing. Um, and as far as you got the you know you have the different. Morphing of the of the virus, right, right. Oh. So, uh, what's left on your bucket list for you? Oh, uh, you know, I don't have a bucket list, and I don't have it because I pretty much so did. My passion was riding, right, and I think I took it as far as I chose to take it. Um, I have. And I, at this, at right this moment, I can't think of anything I really, really want to do. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of figuring that out. Well, if you're like me, I'm constantly reinventing myself as time goes on. I've given myself the luxury of that, and I have certainly enjoyed it. That's good. I mean, but, uh, yeah, well, for do, you know, making a, uh, doing a book, I, I don't know, are you, are you going to self-publish? Yes. Not hard. And I self-published a book. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. In fact, one of I, I stopped doing the expos, and I've opened a, I'm going to open a publishing company called LoveToReadPublishing.com, so that folks that have written books but don't feel like maybe their book is good enough to publish, they'll have an avenue with me, especially horse people, that they can get it published very reasonably and get it marketed very reasonably. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it it was. I, I when when. Um and 215, 216 is when, 215, when, my, when the last parent passed away, um, I journal. I've been journaling since 1984. Uh-huh. That's where I can vent and, you know, cuss people out and sure. put exes on them or, or talk about wonderful things. It's just a place to, so, so nobody, so Owen doesn't have to hear me be wussy. It's, it's a place to, to, to put all your thoughts in. So, and the, during that time... Uh, taking care of parents, um, I did a lot of writing and I did a lot of creative writing, and I I also I did produce uh, a book at that time, and you were and like the, the question was you know is it good enough? Right. Uh, and I decided who cares? I don't care, and I decided to do a book with the purpose of it's not for sale. Right. The only way to get it is to be given the, be gifted the book. Right. And basically it was a book on, uh, it's kind of like observational 
contemplation poetry. The best way to describe it. Uh-huh. And I put it together with a, a, the photography I was doing at the time. That sounds nice. It, it was fun. Yeah. And what, what, it, what it, it kept me busy because I learned how to use InDesign, which is a perfect um, application for making books. Yes, I so love I InDesign. To, so, I had to, so I had to go on to YouTube. I had to learn the process. And what I did was I got everything lined up. I got everything in place. And then I downloaded a one-month, because you can get it for a month trial. Uh-huh. So what I did was, after everything, with all the pictures and everything, everything was done, all I had to do is set it up into InDesign because I only had it, had it for a month. Right. Because I didn't know if I wanted to buy it, you know, buy it or not. Right. So I did it I, in one week. I had it all lined up. I also went through the process of, of uh, copyright. Uh-huh. So I have not just a C with a circle. It's a real copyright. And what I learned was you get the number right away, but you don't get your certificate until almost a year later. Right. So that was interesting. Also, the ISB, whatever that, the, the code is, you get that little code. Yeah, the ISB. You have to buy. Yes, yeah, so I got that. So I went through the whole process, and then I also got it registered. So somewhere in the Library of Congress is my little book, because you have to send them a copy. Right. It's part of the contract, so, which was fun. It was a whole fun thing. It is fun, and it's so different than anything I've ever done before. Um, I've enjoyed the process immensely, and, it, and it's a new way to, to be creative and express myself. It, 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 it was, and I actually found, it was, I found it really hard to find um, printers. I had a hard time finding printers in North Carolina. Um, I ended up did find one that would work for me in Wilmington, but by then I made a commitment in Canada. Well, you know, there's a, a printing press in Oxford that's part of the Oxford Orphanage. And they, oh, I did, yeah, see, was, I, that was all new. Yeah, they're wonderful, and they'll print you one copy or 10,000. Yeah, well, that's, they all do that, you know. Yeah. The, more, the more you, and Amazon does it too now. You can, yeah. you can, do, you can print through Amazon. Right. It's on demand. Um, because if I would, if I ever did another book, it would then definitely would be, I'd try to find what something in it. Well, the reason I had a problem was in, in, the, in this contemplation uh, book that I did, um, there is some, um, in the photograph, even though, I want to say this, there was a little bit of nudity, uh-huh. but you can't see anything. Okay. I mean, it's like, you know somebody isn't wearing clothes, but you can't see anything. Right. They would not print it. Wow. That's what I ran into. It was like, really? I mean, like, it was not pornography, you know? Yeah. And, nope. Canada and then the people in Wilmington, but by then I said I already committed to... And, and the people in Wilmington were laughing hysterically because they said, oh, that's stupid. Because what I would do is I would send them a PDF copy to get an estimate. Yeah. And um, so, you know, that's, that was one of the problems I had in North Carolina. I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I know, that is weird. I mean, especially with poetry. It was very, very weird, especially because I had been working with a printing uh, person, like, for 30 years. Yeah. Anything I printed when I had the farm, they did all my printing, so I called them up, I sent them a PDF, and I never heard from them again. Wow. So I said, hmm, at least I could have done it. Say to me, we don't want to print this, it's nasty. I know. I I don't know. It's really not that bad. (laughs) 
But anyway, you know, what, what can I tell you? Um, it, it was a fun process. It really was. It is. It's very, it, you know, it's been very liberating for me for the books because everything I've done has been about horses, and it's nice to not have any bounds anymore. Well, it's nice to get outside the equestrian world, too. It is. You know, it's, it's not that I don't love horses and everything about them, but it's nice to branch out and try some of my other interests. And that's what I'm looking at. Um, you know, that's why I don't, that's why I don't really... It's funny about a bucket list. I, I'm kind of playing things by ear, and I, I'm thinking of taking the screenplays I wrote and turning them into stories because what I don't... I don't like about a screenplay uh-huh. is you got to produce it. Right. And that's a hassle. I mean, it's just, it's a pain in the neck. Yeah. So they, they're very good screenplays. Um, they won some awards. Uh, they were sent to a couple of screenplay festivals and they won, they won their um, section. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I should turn them into a story. That would be interesting. And that's what I, I was, I haven't done it, but it's one of those things to think about and think about and, and think about more. You know, an interesting thing with books, um, you would think in this digital age that books would become archives, but they're not. And book sales are up stronger than ever. Are they really? They that's really different. are. And, and it's crazy good how much the book sales have continued to grow, regardless of the COVID and regardless of the computers. And I did a, a little survey among people I knew, and I was surprised that all of the younger generation folks, like kids in school, said to me, oh, no, I want a book. I have to have that tablet in my hand all day at school, and when I want to relax, I want something to hold in my hand and turn pages. That's exactly how I feel. I do, too. So I was I so do. happy I, I that mean, that's not Owen, me. Owen has a little nook or a little, I don't know, he, he reads... He reads off of a, uh, whatever you call those iPad things. I, yeah. I want to have a book in my hand. Yeah. Me too. That's one thing I was telling my husband on, on working on my book now. It's it's about 200 pages, and I, can't, I hate doing it on the computer, so I finally went and printed it so I could figure out where I needed to tweak it, you know, so I can finish it up. Yeah. Well, I don't mind, you know, I don't mind, I, I, I'm blessed with, my spelling and my sentence structure is horrible, so... The computer is actually great. Oh, yeah. Of the spell checking, and, and it reminds me that, yeah, it's a fragmented sentence. You may want to reconsider it. Right. So I do, I don't, I do like that. I do like type, I like typing on the computer. Um, but I do, but when it comes to actual reading, I have to have a book. Well, that, that was me. My book is at the stage now where I need to, sometimes I assume my audience knows. And when you read it, you realize that maybe you didn't tell them everything and you need to go back and add a little more detail or right. you talk too much about something. So I'm, I'm, tomorrow starts the reading part of my, my book so I can get it on to editing and get it on the market. Yeah. Are you, you going to have somebody read it, go over it outside yourself? Yes. Would you like to? <laughs> sure. That would be awesome. <laughs> good. Yeah, good. Just send me a PDF. I'll read it. I will. I'll have it to you by the end of the month. Okay, yeah, that's not a problem. That'll be fabulous. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Our souls wander in similar places. Even though we may not know each other, we touch the same wind, we walk under the same sky, and our hearts wander in the same dreams. We are one, women just like you and me. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.